Welcome back, everybody, to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I'm Lisa Linky, and across from me on the Ethernet is Misty Stinnett. And the two of us are your guides through this vast and uncharted territory of self-help books and literature. Yes, every Friday we bring to you a review of another widely read or perhaps never known or classic self-help book. (laughs) Our aim is to let you know in under an hour whether this is a wise investment of your time, efforts, resources, and money, or if this is a flaming pile of dumpster fire that you should avoid at all costs. You're welcome. You're welcome in advance. Um, If you're new to the podcast, I was going to say if you're new to the episode, as you all are, welcome. Um, This is Lisa. I hate anybody telling me what to do, so I am immediately critical of anybody writing a self-help book, regardless of their qualifications. And my co-host, Misty... (laughs) is a true, genuine angel walking on earth. And so she is able to find something useful out of literal trash um, and make it work for her. And I'm in awe of her ability to do so. Um, uh, So, uh, cool, 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 cool. We also cuss a lot because we're fucking people who have our own agency. Um, And (laughs) we timestamp these episodes at September 12 um, in the time of Corona. So if you're listening one month, two months, two years, 20 years, years, two light years from now, let us know how it's going. Um, And also we do need to currently say that um, the West coast is on fire and the air quality today in California and Los Angeles and in my Canyon in particular is so unhealthy that I will probably be coughing. You can hear it in my voice. Um, I just stretched my yeah. foot out on my chair and it's a wooden chair. So if it sounds like I'm farting, it's my foot on a wooden chair. I want everyone to know that I can see Lisa and there's no chair in sight. Well, because you're... you all to know she's a, to- a rootin' and a tootin'. The air quality's bad and she's letting it flow all the way through her. You know what I'm saying. First of all, we Zoom because of we're maintaining uh There's no distancing. chairs in her house. I've never there seen you a go. chair. There it is. <laughs> so, Misty, I did want to say that we had a listener, before we dive in, a listener, longtime loyal listener on LLL, uh, wrote to us and was worried about our safety during the fires. So I just wanted oh, to address are that. You best. And you writing in just to give us a quick word of encouragement, like keep going or like you really made my day with this episode or, you know, I was I was feeling really bad about trying this new self-help thing. And then I realized I'm not crazy. But you all reaching out um, in all those ways means so much to us. So thank you for that. Lisa and I are currently safe, but the fires are close enough that it's affecting the air quality and we can smell it. And um, we're just thinking about all of the firefighters and emergency responders and people who have to evacuate. And we hope everybody's staying very, very safe. Yeah. So thank you. We love you. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It truly does help. The more of you that have, have been writing reviews, the, the more we're hearing that people are finding our show, which is really exciting. So Lisa. Yes. Can I tell you what I'm bringing today? Yes. I don't know. What is it? I am bringing you your absolute 
favorite book of all time. What? Today, we are covering Mindset, oh, The New Psychology God. of Success by Carol S. Dweck, PhD. Uh, Dizzle. So, Lisa, real quick, why don't, why don't you tell us, what is your aversion to this book? Okay. Just so everybody knows, Misty and I were required to read this book before we each took a writing class um, with this Mm -hmm. amazing writing instructor. And his purpose for us reading this book was pure and wonderful and smart. Um, But I hate this fucking book because... I love this book. I love it. I mean, this book is us in a a podcast. (laughs) This in a nutshell. Book, this this nutshell is us in a podcast. I have to say, I have I am suffering from pandemic brain so badly. The other day I For could sure. not remember the town that my brother lived in. Um finally I had to look it yeah. up. Like it's really the stress yeah. it's really starting to impact our brains. So everybody be good to yourself. Okay, yeah. so here's why I don't yes. like mindset. Basically, it's one philosophy and she uses 300 pages to just beat it into our brains with anecdotes. I would say it's like 70% anecdote and 30% research. And I got it after one chapter. But I also acknowledge that I have a growth mindset. (laughs) So I needed only one chapter. I completely agree with you because as I was doing my notes for this episode, I found that I was able to encapsulate um, the theory and the principles very quickly in like half a page. And then I was like, oh, I need to find other ways to sort of fill this out. So that being said, regardless of how quickly she did or didn't do it in the book, this was actually, I think, when I think back, the first self-help book (gasps) I ever read. And it was in, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was back in, what was it, 2016 when I took that writing workshop? And Ladies and gentlemen, and people of non-gender specific identification, we are witness to the birth of Go Help Yourself. This is the inception of Misty Stinnett's love with self-help. It truly is because I was reading this book and listening to all of these anecdotes and all of the research she provides, and it felt like it just kind of cracked me wide open. And Mm. I went, oh, if one book could give me that outlook on life, what would happen if I read another book and another oh, book? And this was kind of where Dweck, I was. <laughs> you've made a monster. <laughs> you old rascal, you. Uh, so I'm really excited to present this book. And okay. I've waited a long time, I guess, just because, you know, I'd already read it and wanted to explore new books. But I'm super excited to bring it to you today. And I hope that it offers something really valuable to all of you. So if I were to summate this book in one sentence, Lisa's favorite word, it would be that the outlook that you approach life with can have profound effects on every Mm. single thing that you do. And you'll, you'll know what I mean. Oh, thank you. You'll know what I mean in just a couple of minutes. So the hardcover is $20 and 99 cents. It is that kind of book. I know. Don't don't waste your money on that. Nope. The paperback is $10.14, Kindle $12.99, audiobook $19.60 or one credit. And on the Overdrive app, it is available. It's about a three-week wait where I am in Los Angeles. It's free. But there are many used copies of this book for much, much cheaper in like the $5 range. So yeah. as as far as first impressions, this book is 100% practical. There is not a woo-woo nor a Nary. wee-wee. 
Nary a woo. Nary a woo. Nary a woo and Carol S. Dweck's <laughs> Orbit. The book is 320 pages. The audiobook is 10 hours and 23 minutes long. And it's narrated by this woman, Bernadette Dunn, D-U-N-N-E. She's got this like raspy, um, look, I'll, I'm just going to say what we're all thinking. It's like a sexy grandma voice. Okay. No, it's, and I now understand like, your fetish with self-help books. <laughs> you got it, baby. It really hit all of my spots, you know, all of my spots when I was reading this book for the first time. So she's got this like very sort of, I'm Carol Dweck. You know, that's how Bernadette, the narrator, sounds. <sighs> but I realized in reading some of the reviews, because I always get curious and I click on the reviews to see what other people thought. This narrator is very polarizing. Either you're like, she's great. I really liked sure. it. Some people sure. were like, I could not listen to the audiobook. I had to return it and get the hardcover. So a little bit about the author. And this is according to Amazon.com because they always okay. do a little author webpage. They do. Carol S. Dweck, PhD, is widely regarded as one of the world's leading researchers in the fields of personality, social psychology, and developmental psychology. She is the Lewis and Virginia Eaton Professor of Psychology at Stanford University, has been elected to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences and the National Academy of Sciences, and has won nine Lifetime Achievement Awards for her research. She addressed the United Nations on the eve of their new global development plan and has advised governments on education educational and economic policies. Her work has been featured in almost every major national publication, and she has appeared on Today, Good Morning America, and 2020. She lives with her husband in Palo Alto, California. At least it was just like rolling her eyes for all of that, like, wow, big deal, United Nations. So what? Stanford, every major publication, Lifetime Achievement Awards. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so the book is divided into eight parts, which cover everything from what a mindset is, the mindsets of champions, mindsets in business and leadership, mindsets in relationships, and how to change your mindset. I'm going to spend most of my time just talking about the two mindsets that she lays out and what she says that can mean for how you approach life and your chances of succeeding in and enjoying life. Mm -hmm. Because I think... It's really important to note, you can enjoy life separate from any external success, right? So what follows is a combination of my own notes from the book and several different summaries that exist online, like from Samuel Thomas Davies and The Art of Living, because this is a highly popular book and people have it's done- It's so popular. It's so popular. People have done- so much beautiful thinking and summarizing of this. So I really um, recommend that you check out any of those summaries if you want to know more. Okay, so this is from chapter one, The Mindsets. And I'm just going to read right from the book. When I was a young researcher just starting out, something happened that changed my life. I was obsessed with understanding how people cope with failures, and I decided to study it by watching how students grapple with hard problems. So I brought children one at a time into a room in their school, made them comfortable, and then gave them a series of puzzles to solve. The first ones were fairly easy, but the next ones were hard. As the students grunted, perspired, and toiled, I watched their strategies and probed what they were thinking and feeling. I expected differences among children in how they coped with the difficulty, but I saw something I never expected. Confronted with the hard puzzles, one 10-year-old boy pulled up his chair, rubbed his hands together, smacked his lips, and cried out, I love a challenge! 
Another, isn't that great? Another, sweating away on these puzzles, looked up with a pleased expression and said with authority, You know, I was hoping this would be informative. (laughs) What's wrong with them? I wondered. I always thought you coped with failure or you didn't cope with failure. I never thought anyone loved failure. Were these alien children or were they onto something? Everyone has a role model, someone who pointed the way at a critical moment in their lives. These children were my role models. They obviously knew something I didn't, and I was determined to figure it out, to understand the kind of mindset that could turn failure into a gift. What did they know? They knew that human qualities such as intellectual skills could be cultivated, and that's what they were doing getting smarter. Not only weren't they discouraged by failure, they didn't even think they were failing. They thought they were learning. I, on the other hand, thought human qualities were carved in stone. You were smart or you weren't, and failure meant you weren't. It was that simple. If you could arrange successes and avoid failures at all costs, you could stay smart. Struggles, mistakes, perseverance were just not part of this picture. Whether human qualities are things that can be cultivated or things that are carved in stone is an old issue. What these beliefs mean for you is a new one. What are the consequences of thinking that your intelligence or personality is something you can develop as opposed to something that is a fixed, deep-seated trait? So that really sets the tone for this book. So she then brings up this very old question, why do people differ? Why do some people fare so well in life and others don't? Why are some people more moral than other people while, you know, others cheat and lie? Why are some people happier than others, even if they're worse off? Why are some people geniuses and others aren't? Why are some people, why do some people wash their legs and others don't? (laughs) Wash their legs? (laughs) Like in the shower? Uh I've heard of people not washing their feet because they just stand there and let the water uh-huh. drip over it. But I've never mm-hmm. heard legs. Oh, mm-hmm. it's a huge internet debate. People wash your legs. It's like half of your body. And then they go in the jeans all day that you never wash. What? Wash something. Wash the also jeans wash or wash the legs. <laughs> no. No. I'm just going to keep washing my legs. That is where I draw legs. the line. That is where I draw the line. That's my, my legs boundary. are clean. They go into my jeans. <laughs> they go into my dirty, Therefore, dirty my transitive jeans. property, my jeans stay clean. <laughs> so, Stamp. Okay. That so is what is them. Carol Thank you. So are human traits like intelligence fixed or are they changeable? So she starts by debunking a bunch of old ways of thinking from previous philosophers and scientists. So for example, the IQ test. Most right. of us, I think, have grown up thinking that the IQ test is this unchangeable measure of our intelligence. Like you take it when you're what, in middle school or high school, and then you're like, okay, my IQ is this number, and it's never going to change. Wait, but it you t- took an IQ test in middle school? Like, did your school give it to you? I was always in the gifted programs. I went through like a lot of tests. I know, not to brag, Humble but I'm like brag. really good at bragging. I guess in the schools I went to, they were always trying to identify gifted students and challenge them. So I think I took an IQ test super young. I think it was like sixth or seventh grade. But did they tell you what it was? I don't think so. I don't remember. Okay, or maybe I took so, one online or it was for a sociology go. class or something. So here, he, I am very fortunate to have grown up with a school psychologist. So Linda was a school psychologist. Mm, so she actually cool. gave students IQ tests. And so she would practice whenever a new test came out on me and my brother. And she, to this day, will not tell us which of us has a higher IQ. 
I oh, mean, I know so it's me. smart. It's you. But she won't tell she's us. So, she's such a good mom. She's so clever. But she also, because she wouldn't tell us, but she would also say, this test isn't representative of your intelligence. Yeah. It measures that day how you performed on that test just that day. Yeah. We cannot measure a person's intelligence right. because their intelligence is demonstrated over a lifetime right. and we just pigeonhole it in this one moment in time. Yeah. And then she so took you both aside. I grew up knowing that it's not important, but I am 100% smarter than my mom. And I'm sure she made sure to say like, and one of you has 40 points higher IQ than the other. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell which. No, it's not. And then she used it somehow as like a way to get you to behave. It's like, well, Sansa's watching. <laughs> 40 points. 40 points would be way obvious. Yeah, yeah exactly. So th- it's, a, it's probably a difference of like five points. And so she was like, I can never tell. I can them. never tell. <laughs> yeah. So your mom is so smart in differentiating that this is just what your measure is at this day. Also, right. probably depending on the sleep you got that night, how much yeah, caffeine the, you've had. The person how, giving the test. Exactly. And interpreting it. Yeah. Exactly. But I at least for me, I grew up thinking like, oh no, it's a measure of your intelligence and it's fixed. And she actually debunks this, which I love. It turns out that the IQ test was actually developed so that schools in Paris could identify which students were struggling and then develop programs to help them catch Mm -hmm. up and get smarter. But Mm -hmm. nobody, but Instead, somehow it morphed into this grotesque, like, nope, it's a measure of your fixed intelligence. And it actually was Mm -hmm. never that. So you can see how losing that other half of the story is actually really damaging in Mm -hmm. that sense. So she talks about a bunch of other research and debunks things like that. And then she talks about the debate between nature or nurture, genes or environment in determining our personality traits. But Carol Dweck says that her research has revealed that it's not either or, it's both. So now we're going to dive into the meat of the book. So she does a good job setting the stage for this. So the book is called Mindset. So what the F is a mindset? A mindset is the view you adopt for yourself, and it profoundly affects the way you lead your life. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Misty's getting a call. It's my mom. Who is it? It's my mom. Oh, my God. She wanted to talk hey, to you about your mindset. Hey, Mom, recording a podcast episode. Call you back later. Love I you. love Karen. Karen's great. It's unfortunate right now that her name is Karen, but you get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, P.S. You're leaving that in because it's adorable. Oh, 100%. 100%. Okay, back to the book. It's funny. She'll laugh so hard when she hears this episode. So it's perfect. Yes, Karen is our number one fan. Oh, she's the best. And by the way, for any of you joining the podcast for the first time or you're new to it, some of our earliest minisodes are actually uh, stories that my mom wrote in yep. about self-help fails. They are so funny. I mean, listen to like, they're somewhere in the first like five or six minisodes. And oh my God, thank you, mom. Okay. So according to Carol Dweck, there are two mindsets, the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. A fixed mindset is the belief that abilities from intelligence to creativity and athleticism are innate and largely fixed. And a growth mindset is the belief that abilities are highly trainable and developed through effort and failure. So I'm going to read a few quotes from her that highlight the differences between the mindset. She says, 
When you enter a mindset, you enter a new world. In one world, the world of fixed traits, success is about proving you're smart or talented, validating yourself. And in the other, the world of changing qualities, it's about stretching yourself to learn something new, developing yourself. In one world, failure is about having a setback, getting a bad grade, losing a tournament, getting fired, getting rejected. It means you're not smart or talented. In the other world, failure is about not growing, not reaching for things you value. It means you're not fulfilling your potential. In one world, effort is a bad thing. It, like failure, means you're not smart or talented. If you were, you wouldn't need effort. In the other world, effort is what makes you smart or talented. You have a choice. Mindsets are just beliefs. They're powerful beliefs, but they're just something in your mind, and you can change your mind. And all throughout the book, she is including copious amounts of anecdotes and research to highlight the examples in different avenues of life. Because this is a really simple idea, but it can affect everything from romantic relationships, friendships, the way you approach Mm -hmm. your job, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, believing that your qualities are carved in stone, the fixed mindset, creates an urgency to prove yourself over and over. So, mm. this really reminded me of the good bad binary from mm-hmm. white fragility. So, it's yeah. almost like if you are if you have a fixed mindset and you're like, "Nope, I'm only so intelligent," or like Uh, Beethoven was born with his musical genius, you know, and it's just an eight, blah, 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 blah. When you fail, the difference is not, oh, I failed. You think I am a failure, right? It's tied to who you are as a person. But in the growth mindset, you just go, okay, I'm a super capable person. I can learn this, but I failed at this task today. I'm going to try yeah. harder. So these what are can wild. I learn from this? Yeah, exactly. And so, like one is one is so optimistic and hopeful, and the other is, I think, this really like dark and kind of doomed, upsetting uh, way of, of viewing the world. Yeah, I don't know if people who are in it feel like it's dark and doomed. I think that it's just kind of like it is what it is. Um, mm. And I think that we all have areas where we're fixed in our mindset. Like, I don't think there's anybody who's 100% growth until you're, until you're, somebody points out that's a fixed mindset. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. And that's a great It's just kind of how you view the world, how you were taught, where you grew up, like the way that you view the world can only, is fixed until someone shows you that it can be different. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And we'll talk about where we get the mindsets in a second, but that you make a great point, Lisa, because I might be like, you know what? I have a growth mindset around cooking and studying, et cetera, but I might have a fixed mindset around musical ability and just Mm -hmm. believe that like I can never become a great guitar player or piano player if I, you know, didn't start young or blah, blah, blah. So it's not, it's, it's tricky in that way because it could creep in in any um, in any facet of her life. But she says, even in the growth mindset, failure can be a painful experience, but yeah. it doesn't define you. It's a problem to be faced, dealt with, and learned from. 
Believing abilities are fixed makes every failure a painful reminder of our unconquerable inadequacy. The result? Fixed mindsets devastate progress. Not only do people with fixed mindsets avoid taking risks, they also give up more easily on themselves and on others, at play, at work, at school, and at home. She has this one anecdote where she um, gave a group of people a really difficult test. And she then discovered who in the group had a fixed mindset and who in the group had a growth mindset. She then gave them the opportunity to look at other people who had taken the test. The kids with the growth mindset looked at the tests of people who had done really, really well and wanted to know how to get better. The kids with the fixed mindset only wanted to look at papers of students who did worse than them because it made them feel better. Mm. So this is really interesting, right? And you can see how it starts to get in your way. And it did help me understand why some people get so upset in certain situations like karaoke night or trivia night. You know, like some people are like, whatever, we got the question wrong. It doesn't matter. And other people just go off. And I was like, oh, I'm really starting to see how a fixed mindset can affect everything, every little interaction, every big interaction. Also, the problem I have about this book is that it only views things through this lens. She has the largest hermeneutical lens. Like, you know, part of, like, if I'm on a trivia night and I'm like, this is the answer, and then then it's wrong, Mm -hmm. I might be mad because I let my team down, which is nothing to do with a growth or a fixed mindset. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think she's saying you are only mad because of X, Y, and Z, but she's saying like this could trigger, like if this is triggered in you. Yes. I just felt like in all of her examples, it was, (laughs) she like spent so long in the book giving example after example after example, but never really looked at and as a sociologist, a social scientist, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Because there were no other extenuating examples or circumstances right. that she would tie in. It was like, right. this is obvious, a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, because this is what they said. And I was like, well, but what was their family life like? Like, what do you know what I mean? Like, right, I have a growth right. mindset, but it comes from having living in a teachable moment household, which also comes with a lot of consequences. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, I never believe that I do my best. It's taken me decades to understand what my best is. And my best is, again, on that very day in that very moment. But it's taken me decades to learn that because my best was always unachievable because that meant perfect perfection. Yeah. So when someone's always saying to you, well, there's always room for improvement and we can always work a little harder as opposed to like, you fucking nailed it. You're going, wait a second. When have I reached the apex? When is my effort enough? You know what I mean? Like I think it, and and for me, I'll give a quick anecdote if I can, if I can be a little dwecky. You know, I was taking this fucking medicine, this weight loss medicine. um, And it, absolutely made me a little bit spacey in my brain. I was Mm. not 100% there. And I was turning right on red and just did not see the other car coming. And so got in a little bit of a fender bender, which was like not a big deal, but I was just bawling and I was so upset. And my boyfriend at the time was like, it was an accident. And I was like, but you know, when I talked to my dad, he was like, okay, so what what could we have done differently, right? You know, which is the teachable moment household. Um, After, you know, are you okay? Is everything okay? Everyone's okay. Um, And it was a good moment for me to be like, yes, accidents are just accidents. 
yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But also, it was a moment for me to learn, like, I have to get the fuck off of this medicine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, yes. both things were true. And, mm-hmm. of course, in 2020, that's the big lesson. Two things can be true. Um, but, you. you know, so that's why I think I reject this book, too, because it's like, it's either this or this. And I that's yeah. that was a problem for me. Well, yeah. And, you know, we always say question any binary, you know, because things are always more nuanced than that. And she's absolutely saying you're this mindset or you're this mindset. And I wonder if she does that to, to simplify the research, et cetera. But I do feel like this could have used maybe a little caveat in the beginning just to say like, we know there are other factors, but we're just going to focus on for simplistic reasons, you know, to highlight the research. Yeah, totally. Okay. Thank you for letting me go on that rant. And thank you for letting me share that. It wasn't a rant. It was a lovely anecdote that highlighted a nuance that was missing from the book. So thank you. Merci beaucoup. Here is the thing with fixed mindset. Here is how fixed mindsets can be real dangerous in the real world. So it's Mm -hmm. one thing if you were just kind of personally thinking like, that person's never going to make it because they don't have innate musical ability or whatever. I'm not going to try on that test because, you know, I'm just not good at math. That's one thing. But where it gets really tricky is when you have really high stakes fixed mindset situations. So the big example she uses in the book, as you might remember, Lisa, is Enron. Mm -hmm. So Enron was one of the most successful companies in the world. They were claiming like $100 billion of revenue in one year alone. They were highlighted as one of the most innovative companies for like six years in a row on the Forbes list, something like that. And they created a very intense culture of fixed mindset. So they would find talented people um, and like traders and brokers and accountants right out of college, like Harvard, Stanford, Ivy League places, and they would absolutely reward just what they thought was innate talent, and they would very ruthlessly discipline or fire anybody who did not match up to standards. So they were creating this company-wide, fostering this mindset. Everybody had this. They were, they treated their talented people like very, very precious stars, And then it came out in 2001 that Enron had been lying for years about their profits. There was this massive accounting fraud scandal. People lost billions of dollars, or at least was it 2001 or 2007? It was 2001 that this came to light, and they filed for bankruptcy in 2002, and then they ended their bankruptcy in 2004. Okay. And this book, this book came out in 2007. Okay. 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 And it. It triggered this insane change in um, business accounting practices and government oversight. It was a huge scandal. And so you have to ask yourself, in a, in a company that employs 29,000 people, how could so many of them cheat, lie, fraud, uh, commit fraud, and willingly tout themselves as these superstars, it's because of the fixed mindset, right? Because you would- The culture of a fixed mindset. So you would rather cheat and lie and appear to be amazing 
then say, hey, we're not actually making the money we're saying we're making because it would mean you are a failure. Not I'm a good person and the company's not working. But I'm a failure, right? Exactly. So as we alluded to before, we aren't born with a certain type of mindset. We all come out as blank slates. I mean, we have a personality, right? Right when we come out. But it's not like you're a star-bellied snitch and you have a star upon thars or not, right? This is something that is developed and we are actually given our mindsets by someone at some point in our life. So like a parent, a caregiver, or even ourselves, if we're looking around and internalizing messages around us. So this was the part of the book that really broke me wide open when I first read about it. And it made me realize how important talking to kids is. So the way that we talk to our kids and praise our kids really matters in cultivating either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. So the author says, praising children's intelligence harms their motivation and it harms their performance. How can that be? Don't children love to be praised? Yes, children love praise, and they especially love to be praised for their intelligence and talent. It really does give them a boost, a special glow, but only for a moment. The minute they hit a snag, their confidence goes out the window and their motivation hits rock bottom. If success means they're smart, then failure means they're dumb. That's the fixed mindset. Parents think they can hand children permanent confidence, like a gift, by praising their brains and talent. It doesn't work, and in fact, it has the opposite effect. It makes children doubt themselves as soon as anything is hard or anything goes wrong. When we say to children, wow, you did that so quickly, or look, you didn't make any mistakes, what message are we sending? We are telling them what we prize are speed and perfection. Speed and perfection are the enemy of difficult learning. If you think I'm smart when I'm fast and perfect, I'd better not take on anything challenging. So she also talks about things like, wow, you're a natural, or wow, baseball's really in your blood. Oh, you were born to be a dancer. All these compliments don't sound nefarious on the surface. And I was told many, many times growing up, wow, performing is in your blood. It's just so natural to you. And that cultivates this idea that, okay, wait a second, if I have a bad performance, if I make a mistake on stage, then that is damaging to who I am and my identity, Mm -hmm. right? So what do we do here? This sounds like a difficult situation. What do we do when we want to praise our kids, but we know that the wrong praise can damage them or cultivate this problematic mindset? So do we deny them the praise they have earned? Carol Dweck says, yes. When this happens, I say, whoops, I guess that was too easy. I apologize for wasting your time. Let's do something you can really learn from. Mm. So for here are a couple examples. Here are some examples of parents addressing their children using a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Fixed mindset. You got an A on your test. You're such a smart kid. Growth mindset. You worked hard and studied to get that A on your test. If you keep studying and working even harder, you'll improve even more. Fixed mindset. You got every single question right on the test. You're the perfect student. Growth mindset. You nailed that test. You couldn't have done that without studying and working hard. So it's the difference between... Acknowledging the effort. Yeah. Yes. 
praise about the process versus, versus praise product. about the product. Yeah. I so. would like to remind everybody, I think I've told it before about the time that I came home from first grade um, with, and I stormed in with that math um, speed test. Do you remember? Have I told this story? <laughs> no. Oh, I, I think, did, didn't Linda tell it? You might have, but please tell me again because it is not coming back. So I come home from the bus. My mom is sitting at the kitchen table and there's a big bay window and the bus stops right in front of my house and I, she sees the minute I get off, I am stomping. I am stomp. I stomp all the way across the lawn. I stomp <laughs> in. I open the door and I slam it. And she's like, Okay. So she said, hello. <laughs> and I stomp, 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 stomp into the kitchen table. And I reach into my backpack and I slap this math test. You remember? Because it would be like in 60 seconds, do as many as you can of the addition, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she looks at this thing and they're all filled out and there's one red mark. And she goes, oh my gosh, look at this. You got almost all of them right. And I said, do you see that red circle? on my paper and she said yeah and i said do you know how i felt when mrs rao put that on my desk and she said no and i said i was so embarrassed i wanted to crawl into my desk and hide and she was like got a perfectionist on my hands um okay how do i how do i show my child who got you know 24 out of 25 right and is miserable about one red circle and in grade one like this is gonna be a long road (laughs) someone get linda a cold glass of anything she wants she She saw me like i just imagine myself in like red boots like stop 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 Oh my God, with like a little tiny backpack, you know what so I mean? So cute. Oh Holy boy. Anyway, we really do come um, out with it, don't we? We do. So, that, but that was a fixed mindset. It totally was. So, to wrap up, when we believe that traits and abilities are trainable, that we can always change and improve, we totally change our approach. Defeats become learning opportunities, setbacks set boundaries we can test, push, and improve, which reminded me of the book Grit. A growth mindset doesn't just make growing possible, it makes failure exciting, even though, let's be real, failure sucks. But then once you've stopped crying, then you can approach it with a growth mindset, a friend told me. So now that we know about the two mindsets and how helpful and liberating it can be if you have a growth mindset, the last question I want to ask you, Lisa, is this. If you currently have a fixed mindset, can you change it? What do you 100%. think the author would say? Uh, um, she would say, this whole book has been for nothing and you're fucked. No. Could you imagine if at the very end of the book she was like, but unfortunately, growth mindsets are just innate and you can't fix them. <laughs> so I'm so sorry if you've diagnosed yourself with a fixed mindset. Oh, you're my fucked. God. And so she talks the whole last part about uh, the whole last part of the book is about how to change your mindset if that's something you want to do and how to determine if you've got a fixed mindset or growth mindset. So that if so, if you want to know that, buy the book, support oh, yeah. the author, check it out. So that is a very brief overview of mindset, the new job. psychology of success by Carol S. Dweck. And before before we go into our normal questions, I do want to say, yeah. Misty, that I probably had a fixed mindset before I started doing improv. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting. And what what was it about improv that you feel like cracked it open for you? Because you cannot predict how something's going to go. You have to let go of your expectations. You have to be willing to throw away what you thought. And like, you have to be willing to be in the moment. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. um, you have to be willing to suck and fail. Like you have to be willing yes. to embrace failure. Um, and the stakes are very, very low. And you do it a lot in rehearsal, right? And then in mm-hmm. class. And then teaching improv really, really helped me see the difference between a fixed yes. and a growth mindset, right? And like, yes. the students who really excelled at improv were ones who realized, like, I am literally doing nothing on stage that is of consequence anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it needs to be treated as such, Like, I need to treat my scene partner with reverence, and I need to treat what we created with reverence. But if I come in with, like, this is a life or death situation, I'm gripping it so tightly. It's never going to work. It's going to fail, and everyone's going to be miserable. And what is the point? It's like deliberate practice for mindset. You're getting immediate feedback, tons of reps. Yeah. It truly is. And, like, you have to be willing. You have an idea, and then somebody else says something, and you have to be willing to just let go of your idea. So you're constantly letting go of what you think. And so if that's not the opposite of fixed mindset, I don't know what it is. And you have to be constantly looking for the opportunities and seeing what can become. And like looking, you know, especially in long form, you're like looking ahead at like what the opportunities are. So mm. I think that I would be very different without improv. I love that so much. I can't imagine you being a person who's not like, okay, well, we'll just get up and try again. Or like, who can care? Like someone with a fixed mindset would not say, well, who can care? Who can yeah. know? I mean, Yeah. Who can yeah. who can care? Honestly, unless somebody's on a on a table with a scalpel under them, who can care? You know, hiding it in a very weird game of hide and seek. <laughs> well, okay, now that's that changes things, and and anyway. I don't mean that to say that like other things aren't important, but in the day to day schema of our lives. Truly, we place so much importance. And I think that's also a fixed mindset, right? Like, if I don't get my coffee the way I want it, then my day is fucked. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really working hard to let go of perfectionism. I think I've got a growth mindset in so many areas. But I think I really have a fixed mindset and like, no, it's got to be this good or it's a reflection on who I am as a person. My yeah. house has got to be this clean. The dinner party I'm throwing has got to be this. And that makes me sound bougie and like I'm violating pandemic rules. That's just a fantasy in my mind. But <laughs> you get what I'm saying, right? Also, when Misty was talking about her house being clean, I straight up looked at just the pile of un uh, un broken down boxes and shit ready to go to whenever we reopen the Salvation Army. So that's mm-hmm. how I roll. Who can care? Yes. So Lisa, I, I'm not assigning you homework from this book because... I've already read it. You've already read the book. You employ a growth mindset. You've already shared with us how you changed from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. So no homework. You're off the hook. You're welcome. Thank you. So let me ask you questions. Yeah. Please. We, we've talked a little bit about what I thought the author got right and wrong, but I want to hear about what you thought the author got right and wrong. Yeah, I think I think I, I agree with you. I just wish that, you know, she had acknowledged the dichotomy and said, mm-hmm. you know, 
by the way, I also want to acknowledge that there are many other factors that could go into someone feeling upset. And it would have been really cool to say, by the way, here are other reasons you might be upset by failure. And I want to differentiate those from this so that you don't approach mindsets with a fixed mindset. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. But it really is such a thorough, thorough book. If you're somebody who loves stories, I think this book is very, very friendly. It's a research book, but it feels more like she's telling you stories from her adventures on the road rather than we were we had 12 people and of the 12, six of them. It's like, no, it's 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 not as dry as all that, which I really like. It's true. Um, and great lead into my next question, which is who is this perfect for and who would you never buy it for? Me, the answer is me. I would never buy it for Lisa Linky. And I I really think this book is so helpful for everyone. Particularly, though, I think it's so potent for parents, for new mm. parents, because I think it's a lot harder to change your mindset when you've got 20, 30, 40, 50 years of thinking that way than it is when you've just got a, a four, five, six year old little human that you're trying to do. And I I think, you know, I, I would hope that if I have kids, that my kids are one of the ones who like rubs their hands together, smacks their lips and is like, oh, I was hoping this would be challenging. <laughs> you know, it's just such a nice way to approach life, to look at everything as like a potential opportunity seems so much more fun than, oh, I'm fucked if anyone sees me fail. Yeah. And something that yeah. she doesn't really talk about in the book is that it's hard to teach children to be something that you are not. Exactly. Yep. And modeling that. So it's kind of like if I could give this book and the self-driven child to all new parents, that would be my wish (laughs) for the world. Yeah. I would love to give it to them even before because like, how do you become, you know? Yeah. And, and for, for the record, I do really think this book needed to be written when it was written. Yes. So with that, everybody, take inventory of your mindset. Change it if you feel like it. It's up to you. We don't have to live your life. Who can care? And so with that, life is is abundant. abundant. That is a growth mindset. (laughs) Go Help Yourself was produced by Misty Stinnett and Lisa Linky. Our theme song was written by the inimitable Matt Sav. Inimitable. There's nothing we love more than hearing from you. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. We're also at gohelpyourselfpodcast on Instagram and at ghypodcast on Twitter. And you can go old school and check out our website at gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. It basically is a fancy PowerPoint slide. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review because it helps other people find our show. You know who else needs to find it? Your friends. Tell all of your friends. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.